we are wrapping up the book of Acts. I feel like I'm leaving a, a long-time friend. Um, we've been in this book for uh, nearly a year. Uh, Dan started it, and we've just carried it on through. And today is our last section of the book of Acts. And so we'll be looking at some of Luke's plan and his purpose in writing this book and how he ties it all together with two bookends in chapter 1 and chapter 28. This is Paul's last witness before the book of Acts closes. We've had four sermons recorded since he was arrested. And this is the fourth one. Starting at verse 17. And it came to pass after three days that Paul called the leaders of the Jews together. So when they were come together, he said to them, Men and brethren, though I have done nothing against our people or the custom of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans, who when they had examined me, they wanted to let me go because there was no cause for putting me to death. But when the Jews spoke against it, I was compelled to, to appeal to Caesar. Not that I'd done anything which to be accused of my nation. This verse I want us to, to focus on as we're reading right now. For this reason, therefore, I have called for you to see you and to speak with you because for the hope of Israel I am bound with this chain. That's been Paul's theme in nearly every one of his sermons that this is the cause of his arrest. And they said to him, we have neither received letters from Jerusalem concerning you nor have any of the brethren who came reported spoken any of evil of you. But we desire to hear you and what you think, another key phrase, for concerning this sect, the Greek word is heresy, we know that it is speak, spoken against everywhere. So when they had appointed a time and a day, many came to him to his lodging, to whom he expounded or explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from the law of Moses and the prophets, from morning till evening. And some were persuaded. The means was Paul's preaching and the teaching and the Scripture by the things which were spoken. And some disbelieved. So when they had not agreed among themselves, they departed after. And Paul said one final word. The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our fathers saying, Go to this people and saying, Hear, and you will not hear, and shall not understand. And seeing, you will see and not perceive. For the heart of this people have grown dull. Their eyes are hard. I'm sorry, their ears are hard of hearing. And their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears lest they should understand with their heart and turn so that I should heal them. 
Therefore, let it be known to you that salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had a great dispute among themselves. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house, and he received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. You may be seated. What is Luke trying to tell us in this last section of this wonderful story? I think this serves almost like a bookend to the beginning of the book of Acts. In the beginning of the book of Acts, Jesus tells the apostles, he said, you tarry in Jerusalem. John the Baptist baptized with water, but not many days from now, you are going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now you remember all through Jesus' ministry, the disciples kept expecting the kingdom of God to come. And Jesus would say, the kingdom of heaven is not going to come with observation. He would say things like, the kingdom of heaven is within you. And they were expecting the Messiah to come and deliver them. After feeding 5,000, Jesus had to escape the crowds because they wanted to make him a king. And he knew what they were going to do. And they didn't understand the hour of his crucifixion. They didn't understand his purpose. They didn't understand what this kingdom was going to look like. And when Jesus tells Peter that I am going to go to the cross, he says, God forbid, and Jesus has to rebuke Peter and says, get behind me, Peter, because you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of man. You're wanting this earthly kingdom. You're wanting this messianic kingdom. You're wanting the Roman government to be thrown off and Israel's oppression to be over and this glorious kingdom to come in. And so Jesus is telling them during this 40 days between his resurrection and his ascension that you wait in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit is coming. And you know what they say? They say, aha, is the kingdom of heaven coming now? These guys are thick. <laughs> They're like me. They just don't get it. And the fact that the whole church dispensation, the whole church age is a mystery to these guys. It's, it, it's going in one ear and out the other. He's telling parable after parable and they're not understanding it and they're still not getting it. And by the end of the book of Acts, they're getting it. The kingdom of heaven is not right now. There is this great interlude called the church. And God is doing something unique, something special. And the book of Acts is filling in between the Old Testament and the church age. God is reaching out to Jew and reaching out to Gentile and He's bringing them together in one body called the church. And they're asking, are you going to build the kingdom right now? Are the Holy Spirit's going to come? And God's saying, no. And I'm going to give you some glimpses of what I'm doing all through the book of Acts. And so Luke is tying all these things together for us in this concluding chapter. He says, that now he's persuading men concerning the kingdom of God. 
And the last verse tells us he's preaching the kingdom of God. This is the kingdom of God, Jew and Gentile coming together as one group of people. And Luke is tying all this together for us. The inclusion of the Gentiles was God's eternal plan. In the middle of this book, we sort of have a hinge putting it all together. It's the Jerusalem Council. And they come together just to discuss this whole Jew and Gentile dilemma. How do we treat them? Do they have to get circumcised? Do they keep the dietary laws? How many laws do they need to obey? And Peter begins to tell them, I had to be prompted by the Holy Spirit by a vision to eat these unclean food so that I would finally go to Cornelius' house. And God gave them the same gift just like he gave to us when we believed in the book of Acts chapter 2. He poured out the Holy Spirit and these Jews who came with me, they witnessed them speaking in other languages to authenticate that, yes, they are a part of the body of Christ. God forbid that we should put anything else on them because we believe that they will be justified by faith just like we were. And so James gets up and he concludes this whole thing and he says, known to God from all eternity is his plan. This is nothing new. God had always planned to save all nations. He told Abraham this and the Jews were slow to get it and slow to figure it all out. Another reason that Luke is including this, I think he's telling us the cycles of apologetics in Paul's sermons. And again, the Gentiles are sort of woven into these messages. In Acts 22, he goes back to Jerusalem to fulfill his Nazarite vow. He takes some Jews into the temple with him, and he is seized and arrested. And they don't know who he is, and they're, they're beating on this guy and wailing on him. The centurion comes and breaks up the fight. And Paul says, let me, let me talk to the crowds. And so he's standing up on the steps and he begins to speak to them in the Hebrew language and it goes dead silent. And he begins to tell them his testimony of all the things that he was contrary to this whole message about Jesus. And then he gets to the part where he says, Jesus says, Paul, I want you to depart from the cities and go to the Gentiles. And he's with that one word. That was a, I, I, this is a new word. I didn't know what it meant until this last year. It's a trigger, huh? We all, it's a, a trigger word. He said the word Gentile, and boy, it triggered them. And they begin to throw dirt, and they said, okay, take this guy off and beat him. We're going to find out what this guy's about. He says, you think he's going to beat me? Uh, I'm, I'm a Roman citizen. So they, anyway, that was his first apologetic. And then in the next chapter, he he comes and he speaks to the Sanhedrin and he tells them again, it's for the hope of Israel that I am bound with these chains because Jesus Christ is raised from the dead and he splits the Sanhedrin right in half. Sadducees and Pharisees and they, 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 they conclude that. And then his third speech is before Agrippa. He gives his defense that God raises the dead, that God causes men to repent, that we have a moral responsibility and all of us are accountable for knowing right and wrong. He appeals to the common knowledge that Jesus Christ was crucified and raised from the dead. And he says, Agrippa, this thing wasn't done in a corner. And then he appeals to all the prophecies in the scripture. And Agrippa says, you have almost persuaded me to become a Christian. And Paul says, I would to God that you were all together as I am, except for these chains. And so over and over again, Luke is showing us this apologetics, giving a defense for our faith. And then the fourth one is here today that we're looking at where he calls the Jews together. 
one last chance to approach the Jewish people and tell them about their Messiah. And when they reject, what does he do? He goes to the Gentiles. And again, we see this cycle over and over again in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 13, he goes to Antioch. And he preaches in the synagogue. And the Gentile God fears embrace the message. And some of the Jews do too. And the Gentiles, they go out and they begin to tell everybody. And the next Sabbath day, the entire city comes together. And the Jews are moved with envy. And they begin to contradict. And they begin to blaspheme. And Paul says, you Jewish people have judged yourselves unworthy of the kingdom of heaven. I go to the Gentiles, for so God has ordained Christ to be a light to all people. We see this all through the book of Acts. The same thing happens in the city of Thessalonica. The Jews become angry, a riot goes, and he has to leave the city. We see the same thing here. Paul addresses the Jewish nation. So Paul, Luke is trying to, to show us how God is using the Jewish people and their rejection of their own Messiah to open the gospel to all people. Third thing that I think Luke is doing, he's showing us that God's plan and purposes for the Apostle Paul will not be thwarted by the works of man. Over in Acts chapter 19 and verse 21, Paul says, I am going to Jerusalem to keep this feast. But after that, I must go to Rome. And all that Paul has been through, a conspiracy of order, 40 men who wanted to kill him, little nephew boy finds about the plot, calls the centurion, and they give him a 470-man escort down to Caesarea. Paul is going to make it to Rome. God gives him a vision in the night and says, Paul, you are going to Rome and you're going to testify before Caesar and I'm going to get you there. And then he gets in a shipwreck and there's a storm on the sea and they think they're going down. And again, the angel of God comes to Paul. He says, Paul, you're going to make it to Rome. And Paul calls all the, all the sailors together. He says, guys, go ahead and eat because I believe God. The God whom I serve, his angel came to me and he says, we are going to stay alive and we're going to make it. And I believe God that will be just as he told me. And now we come to this chapter and here he is not only in Rome, but he has his own rented house. For two years, people are coming and hearing the word of God. Luke is telling us that yes, his plans to get to Rome are fulfilled and God is faithful. We can trust God. The last thing that I think that Luke is doing and showing us and pur purpose of this book is God's judicial hardening on the self-hardened Israelites. This is a principle that I really never grasped until maybe the last couple of years that through the Gospels, through the book of Acts, that God is purposely hardening the self-hardened Jews. The Jews, I believe, knew who Jesus was. It says many of the Pharisees, many of the scribes, many of the priests believed in Jesus, but they would not confess him because they loved the praises of man over the praises of God. Nicodemus came to Jesus by night and he said, Jesus, we know you are a teacher that has come from God. 
These men, in their stubborn rebellion, continually rejected Christ as their Messiah, their need for a Savior, and that all their legal works and righteous acts were insufficient. And they weren't about to let go of those things. Jesus would purposely aggravate those who are already hardened by saying things like this, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you've got no life. And it would just anger them and say, okay, that's enough. We're, we're done with this guy. He's got a demon. And he would purposely do that because he was sifting out those who were really hungry and those who were merely going through the ad. He would end his parables with phrases like this, the one who has ears to hear, let him hear. And so Christ in the Gospels, we see it through the book of Acts, and then we see it mirrored in the book, in the epistles. In Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11, the question there, I believe the question is, why are the Jews being hardened? I believe that's the question on the, on the table in, in, in Romans 9. Not, is God picking this guy or this guy or this girl or this girl? I think the question that the Jews are asking is, why are we being hardened? We are the seed of Abraham. We are followers of Isaac. And he says, that's not it. That has nothing to do with it. We have followed all the law, and God's saying, that's not it. You sought it by works. You sought it by your genealogy, but you didn't seek it by faith. And so God is answering these questions throughout the epistles. And understanding this hardening issue helps you put all the Bible together. But I want to just focus real quickly on Paul and how he puts the truth on a platform here. He has a plan. He has passion. And he has purpose in telling the gospel. Paul always wanted to get to Rome. He wrote the Romans a letter talking about this passion, this burning desire to get to Rome. And he tells us in Rome chapter 9, and he uses three things to, to let us know that he means business. First of all, he says, I am telling the truth in Christ. Then he says, I am not lying. And then he says, my conscience is also bearing witness in the Holy Spirit. He repeats it three times so that the Jews understand that this guy has passion for his people. I am not lying. I'm telling the truth. My conscience is also bearing me witness, for I could wish myself accursed from Christ for my brethren, for my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites. And then in chapter 10, he says, God is my witness. I have a continual sorrow and brokenness in my heart, and I pray to God that Israel might be saved. And then you get to chapter 11 of Romans, and he says, has God cast away his people whom he foreknew? The ones that he previously knew and had a relationship with. God forbid. He says, I'm also an Israelite. God is doing something mysterious with this Olive branch of Israel. He's taking the natural branches and he's snapping them off. He's sending them a spirit of stupor. Eyes that they will not see and ears that they will not hear because they've been self-hardened. And now God is hardening them. And he's provoking them with jealousy because Gentiles are getting saved. So Paul comes here with a passion to reach his own people. 
He says in verse 20, for this cause, I come to speak with you. This is the cause. This is the thing that drove his life. He was a man that was obsessed with something that was godly. In the book, book of Romans, he says this, he says, I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians. So as much as within me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone to believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For herein, the gospel, here in this, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the just shall live by faith. This is what drove this man. And he says, for this cause I stand before you. It's got nothing to do with my arrest. It's got nothing to do with my chains. In fact, all of that was trumped up. I've lived an orthodox life my entire time as a follower of Jesus. I haven't forsaken the customs. I haven't forsaken the law. I still take Nazarite vows. I still go to the Passover. I still observe all of these things. It's these chains because I believe in the hope that every one of us believes in. So he had a passion. He had a plan. His plan was specific as well. And he knew that he was going to have to overcome some prejudice. He knew that they already had a couple strikes against him. Look what they say before he even gets there, before he even begins to speak. Verse 22, we desire to hear from you and what you think, for concerning this sect, we know that it is spoken against everywhere. We need to be prepared for people's objections, don't we? There are so many objections to the gospel, and there are so many preconceived ideas of what the gospel is all about. And our job is to eliminate those things. Uh, I, I remember a guy who was an evangelist, he, he came to Ireland, and he, he had this track ministry. And it was a simple, simple little um, illustration that he would give. And he would talk about, you know, having cancer in your body, and and how if you took those cancer cells out and transplanted them in another body, that guy might live and the other guy would, would die. And he says, really, that's what Jesus did. And then he would use other, other illustrations like, how far can you throw a rock? And can you, who can hit the moon? You know, and he says, that's what it's like trying to, to, to get to God. And then, But after he went through the whole explanation of talking to people about salvation, he says, he says the last thing I ask people is, what is keeping you from trusting Jesus right now? He says, because everybody has got these stumps that you need to help remove before they can put their faith in Christ. Not everybody, he says, but a lot of people do. And if you can go to a biblical text and you can help remove that, what about those who have never heard? Take them to Romans chapter 1. What about, uh, 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 you know, never mind. I don't need to go down that road. Okay. Um, but anyway, Paul knows that he's going to have to remove some obstacle here with these people. But look how purposeful he is. He's specific. He appoints a time and a place and the parameters. He says, you're going to meet me at this time at my house, and this is the books that we're going to use. We're going to use the law. And we're going to use Moses. I found the most effective way to reach people for Christ is to have a systematic way of going through Scripture with them. Appoint a time to meet with them. 
appoint a book that you're going to go through and stick with that plan. So Paul does it, and he does it with passion. He persuades them concerning Jesus. The source is the Bible. We have no other book to persuade people from. And he did it from morning until evening. He's trying to win them over. I want to now move to the the last point, and I I want us to to understand this because I think it will help you and I, I believe it will open up your eyes to a lot of the New Testament passages that, that seem to be difficult passages. That Israel's rejection of the light, unresponsiveness leads to judicial hardening. I don't think Pharaoh had any problem understanding that the God of the Hebrews was the one true God. I think he figured that out. And I think all of his magicians figured it out too. Because they said, this is the hand of God. But what was Pharaoh? Pharaoh had hardened his heart, we're told, five times. And then it begins to say, then God hardened Pharaoh's heart. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And God raised up Pharaoh for this purpose, that he might show his power to the nations. And this is what I believe God is doing with Israel. They hardened their heart. They hardened their heart. They hardened their heart. And now God says, okay, I'm going to harden your heart. I'm going to give you truth and more truth, and it's just going to make you that much more obstinate. Jesus told a parable in Matthew chapter 21, I think. It's a parable of the vineyard owner. And the vineyard is a picture of the nation of Israel. And he sent people after people after people to receive the crops from this vineyard owner. And finally he sends the son, and they say, let's kill the son. He's the heir, we'll take possession of it. What shall we do? He will miserably destroy those stewards, and he will let it out to another. And Jesus said, have you never read this? Have you never read this? Talking to the Pharisees, who have this super hard heart. The stone which the builders rejected, he has become the chief cornerstone. This is marvelous in the Lord's eyes, and it is his doing. I will take the kingdom away from you and I will give it to a nation bringing forth fruits of repentance. Jesus had told them in that story that I'm going to take Israel's Messiah away from you and I'm going to send him to the Gentiles. Then he ends with this. Whoever falls on this stone will be broken. If you will come with humility to Christ, He will break you and He will change your life. Or Christ will come for the purpose of judgment. But whoever this stone falls on, He will grind him to powder. Jesus was warning them. A lot of people think Jesus told parables so that you could understand the story. I thought that for a long time until I started reading what Jesus actually said. Jesus didn't tell parables so that we could understand them. Jesus told parables to harden the hearts of self-hardened Jews. Turn over to Matthew chapter 13 and we'll see the same quotation that Paul gives. Matthew 13, 11 through 15. 
he answered and said to them, well, the disciples asked him, why do you speak to them in parables? And I always assume that he tells parables so that we can easily understand the story. But that's not the way Jesus answers this. Yes, we can easily understand parables because they're earthly stories, but they make sense to us because we've got the explainer, right? We've got Jesus to tell us what they meant. I think if you and I were in the first century and we weren't hungry for spiritual truth, we would have walked away from those parables saying, this guy, I can't understand him, doesn't make any sense. Either that, we would have said, you know what? I don't understand what he's saying, but I'm going to hang around and I'm going to ask him because I want to know more. And this is this biblical principle that I want you to understand today. God will give you more truth if you are hungry. God will take away truth that you have if you are not going to use it. Mark chapter 4, take heed with what you hear. For what with measure you use, it will be measured to you, and to you who have, more will be given. And to you who have and do not use it, even what you have will be taken away from you. This is what's happened in Romans chapter 1. When they knew God, and they glorified Him not as God, and they worshiped the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever, amen, and they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and they worshiped the creature instead of the Creator who is blessed forever. That's what's happening all through the Bible. And when I started to understand this principle, so many difficult passages begin to make sense to me. And look what they say. Look what Jesus says. Why do you teach in parables? He said to them, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them, it has not been given. For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he who does not have even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand, and in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which he says, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, seeing you will see and not perceive. For the heart of this people have grown dull. They are self-hardened. I'm going to give them parables so that they don't understand it. And one day they are going to take me and they are going to crucify me. It tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, if they had known who the Son of Glory was, they would not have crucified him. Jesus is purposely blinding their eyes. He is purposely taking a few men and explaining himself to them. It's not that he's electing one person over another. He's calling out Peter and says, Peter, you are the rock that I'm going to build my church on because you have confessed me as the Christ. You didn't understand this, my Father in heaven. And it wasn't some irresistible way that Father showed him. It was miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. And they're in the boat and all the guys say, truly this man is the Son of God. And so he's taking these men they are his sheep. This is what's going on in the Gospels. And it began to just make sense to me. And the light began to come on in my heart. And when I pick up the Bible now, it makes so much more sense to me. And so I want to share my passion and my zeal with you all this morning. I'm losing my microphone. I might take this sling off too. I'll be careful. <laughs> Okay, 
Second point about the hardening of Israel. Pride prevents truth from taking hold in our hearts. Pride is its an awful thing, isn't it? Pride is like a barrier between you and being real. If you've got unforgiveness with a spouse, unforgiveness with a friend, I guarantee if you get rid of all the other stuff, pride has got a hold in a root somewhere in there. And you just don't want to say, I'm sorry. Pride keeps us from growing as people. It keeps us from growing as Christians. And it keeps us from revealing truth from God. I want you to turn over to John chapter 9. And we're going to see the blind man illustrating this. Here was a man with complete humility. And he's around a bunch of prideful teachers. And they just refuse to accept the obvious. Pride will keep you from accepting the obvious truth that's before you. John chapter 9. And we're just going to read a few verses to make my point clear to you. We'll start verse, with verse 28. Romans, uh, John, I'm sorry, John 9, 28. Then they reviled this blind man and said, You are his disciples, but we are Moses' disciple. Look what they say in verse 29. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we don't know where he is from. He has just opened a blind man's eyes and they say, we don't know where he's from. Come on. They know where he's from. They don't want to admit it because a blind man is teaching them something that they don't want to accept. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings, God has ordained strength because of the enemies that he might still the enemy and the avenger. This is what he's doing here. This man answered and said, look what he says, why? <laughs> why? Seriously, why don't you know where this guy is from? A marvelous thing has been done and you don't know where it's from, yet he has opened my eyes. Now we know that God does not hear sinners. Nor does anyone who worship God or does his will. Since the world began, has it been unheard of anyone opening the eyes of one born blind? If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. He's schooling these men who are so filled with pride. My point is pride prevents us from receiving truth. Let's go over to verse 39. Here's the judicial hardening. This is what I'm talking about, this judicial hardening where God is judging. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into the world. Judicially hardening, judicially judging these people who will not accept truth. Why? That those who do not see may see. The guy who will humble himself and say, Lord, I need your help. I acknowledge that I'm blind. I acknowledge that I can't make it without you. I've come to help that guy. But the guy who says he can see and the guy who says I am self-righteous and I've got it all figured out, God says, I'm going to judicially blind you. I've come for judgment that those who see may be made blind. Verse 41, if you were blind, you would have no sin. Wow. 
if you were really truly blind, if you would just admit it that you would have no sin, you weren't blinded by God by birth, you were blinded by your own arrogance and pride because you wouldn't receive truth. Number three, Paul follows the example that Jesus did. He still holds out hope for those who reject. All through Paul's ministry, Jewish after Jewish synagogue, they have been rejecting him. But what does Paul do? Does he just give up on his people? Does he just say, God's cast them away? They're not part of the elect. They're not going to get to heaven. It's too bad for those guys. No, Paul never gave up hope, and neither did Jesus. Turn over to John chapter 10. Jesus is holding out still for these guys. John chapter 10, verses 24 through 26. Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Look what Jesus said. I told you and you do not believe. Now Jesus sort of masked it. He, he said, I'm the good shepherd, I'm the door, I'm the way, I'm the truth, all those things. And he's telling them, but they're not, they're not really seeing it. Now, who did Jesus come right out and tell them that he was the Messiah? Two people in the book of John. It's interesting. He says, I am he. He told the blind man. He says to the blind man, he says, do you believe in the Son of God? And the blind man says, who is he, Lord, that I may believe? And Jesus said, you have both seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you now. Who is it that Jesus says it clearly and plainly to? Those who are wanting and seeking more truth. Who's the other person? It was the woman at the well. She said, we know when Messiah's coming, he's going to tell us. And Jesus says, the one who you're speaking to is the Messiah. He could have told these guys, couldn't he? But he doesn't. Because he knows their self-hardened hearts. And he's further blinding them so that they would one day take him to the cross and crucify him. So he goes on to say, I, I've already told you in so many words, but you don't believe. But look at Jesus. He holds out hope for these guys. Look at 37 through 39. If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in Him. What did it do? It just aggravated them all that much more. You just called God your Father. Let's kill Him. They sought all the more to seize Him, but He escaped out of their hands. One more chapter of, 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 uh, in 9, and then I'm going to kind of Tie these things together. So turn over to John chapter 12. The purpose of provoking the hardened Israelite was to lead Jesus to the crucifixion and his eternal purpose for the nation of Israel. Israel's purpose was to bring the message of God to all nations. That was their purpose. Their other purpose was to bring the Messiah to all people. God is still using his nation of Israel for his purpose. That's the question that they ask in Romans chapter 9. Has the purpose of election failed? No, it hasn't failed. 
God is using this mystery that we couldn't even see that he's blinding Israel so that he might be a Messiah to all people. So in chapter 12, we'll see Jesus saying, this is what it's all about. Jeff, uh, 12, verse 32 through 38. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all peoples to myself. He said this signifying by what death he should die. Look at the people again. They're so hardened, so blind. The people answered and said, We have heard out of the law that Christ remains forever. How can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? <laughs> And he gives them one final warning. Walk while you have the light. I'm not going to be here much longer. Please take advantage of it while you can. As a Christian, if God is dealing with you about sin in your life and God is convicting you, deal with it now. The further you put it off, the more calloused you'll become. If God is talking to you this morning about salvation and you need Jesus Christ to come into your life and change you, do not put it off. The longer you put it off, the harder it will become. Jesus says to these guys who said, who is the Son of Man? He says, a little longer, the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest the darkness overtake you. He who is in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, Believe in the light that you may become sons of the light. These things Jesus spoke and he departed and he was hidden from them. Paul went to the Jewish people. Some were persuaded. How were they persuaded? They were persuaded by the things out of the Bible. By the things that Paul taught them out of the law of Moses. And if they won't hear the law of Moses, Jesus said this, they won't even be persuaded if some guy would rise from the dead. So salvation now, Paul says, is sent to the Gentiles. I want to just give you seven principles from Romans 9 through 11. Why were Jews hardened? One, they were trusting in their genealogy. Second, they were trusting in their works of righteousness and they weren't coming by faith. God, number three, God sent a spirit of stupor so that they should not believe. Romans 11, 8 says God gave them a spirit of stupor so that they shouldn't believe. This is God judging them. You don't have to give a spirit of stupor to a blind man. You don't give a spirit of stupor to a corpse. You only do that to somebody who could have believed but wouldn't believe. Does that make sense? I think it makes perfect sense. Not because I'm saying it, because it's logical. Okay. So he sent them a spirit of stupor because he was judicially hardening them. That's Romans 11.8. They stumbled, Romans 11.11, so that their fall might bring salvation to the Gentiles. Number five, God was provoking the Jews through salvation of Gentiles in order to save some of the non-elect hardened Jews. Isn't this it's, it's amazing what God is doing? Number six, the Jews, being natural branches, are being cut off as a severe warning to Gentiles. If God cuts off natural branches because they hear the truth and they harden their hearts, 
What will God do to wild branches? He'll do the exact same thing. Number seven, God is still able to graft back in the natural branches. They are not cast off permanently. And why are they cast off? It's because of unbelief. But if they do not continue in unbelief, Romans 11, 23, God is able to graft them back in. This whole thing just helped me understand so many difficult passages in the New Testament. And I know I covered it in a fast fashion today. And so if you want to chat with me, not after church today, I've got to catch a plane. But next Sunday, anytime, give me a phone call. We can sit down and we can talk and discuss these things. Because I know some of this is so new or something you've never heard before. But what are some things that we can take away this morning? Number one, our only hope for lost people is the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is no other message. And that's what drove the Apostle Paul. Number two, the transcendent worth of the power of Scripture to reveal the wisdom of God and the knowledge of God. In Romans 11, Paul sums it all up like this. Oh, the depth of the riches of both the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. God's Word is unfathomably, unfathomably powerful and transcendent and above all of our knowledge or wisdom. Number three, the gospel demands a response. Some were persuaded and some disbelieved. Truth demands that you and I be culpable for it, that we are held accountable for it, and with what we use, God will give us more. The last principle, when we respond to life with humility, God graciously and lovingly gives us more truth and more life. Let's close with prayer. Father, how unsearchable are your ways. Your wisdom is beyond anything that we could have ever come up with. You have assigned all of us as transgressors. Whether we have the law given to us or whether it's the law written on our conscience, every mouth is stopped before you. And Christ died for everyone so that God, you might have mercy on all. Father, I pray for us as a congregation. I pray for us as a church. God, that we will hunger for greater light. God, when we don't understand a passage of Scripture, I pray, God, that it won't just be like water off a duck, but God, I pray that we will search for an answer, that we will want line upon line and precept upon precept. Father, I pray also, God, that we will have a passion for lost people like Jesus did. Even when Jerusalem rejected Him, He wept and said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I would have gathered you as a hen gathers its chicks under its wings, but you would not. 
And Paul said, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. God, I pray that we never lose a zeal. I pray, God, that we never lose a brokenness for lost humanity. Oh, God, keep our hearts tender before you. Remind us of the grace that saved us when we were your enemies. We pray this in Jesus' name. Stand together for our last.